On this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast, we're going to be talking spring hunting here in Louisiana, and we're not talking turkey hunting, guys. There's a new season that's about to kick off this weekend that many of you may not even be aware is taking place. We'll fill you in on the details of it, as well as talk about some new details that have emerged from the incident that occurred on Real Foot Lake up in Tennessee that just broke this week. We'll talk about it all and much more on this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. Let's go. This week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Wrap It Up Cajun Customs. If you've ever thought about protecting or giving that firearm of yours a new look for hunting season, Romeo and the guys at Wrap It Up Cajun Customs can do that for you. Whether it's your favorite camo pattern or other patterns that you may choose, Wrap It Up Cajun Customs can do it at an affordable price that you will not be disappointed with. Look them up on Facebook at Wrap It Up Cajun Customs. Also brought to you by Beaver Creek Game Calls. Patrick Erkfitz and the guys at Beaver Creek Game Calls can custom design a perfect duck call, turkey call, or deer grunt call that meets your specific needs. Whether it's a gift or a tool you're looking to use in the field, Beaver Creek Game Calls has it all. Visit them on the web at beavercreekgamecalls.com. What's up, what's up, guys? Welcome to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Robery, and I hope everybody's doing great this afternoon. It is Friday afternoon here in South Louisiana. A lot of us are ready for the weekend, ready to get outdoors kind of get away from that everyday struggle and bustle of everyday life guys and for me i am not part of that crowd i got one more day i gotta work a half a day tomorrow on saturday because i got boats to get out for you guys that are trying to enjoy your passion on the water and outdoors here in louisiana guys but you know what i'm okay with that so i hope everybody's doing great this week um i know i am I am wore out. Don't know about you guys, but we got a change in weather this week, and the temperatures have steadily climbed this week, guys. We got a little taste of humidity, um, and the temperatures just feel a lot warmer as we approach the weekend this weekend, and we're looking for rain, I know, on Sunday, uh, especially here in South Louisiana. We have an 80% chance of rain on Sunday, but if you're looking to get out tomorrow on Saturday and do something, whether you're hitting the water or hitting the woods, which we'll talk about here in a second, then it's looking pretty good for you. You have a good forecast for Saturday. So get out there, take the kiddos, go do some fishing, go do a little bit of hunting, and enjoy yourself out there before the weather moves in on Sunday, guys. And some of you listening, you may be saying to yourself, huh, hunting? You mentioned hunting. Man, I don't turkey hunt. Well, guess what, guys? We got another season that's opening up this weekend here in Louisiana, and we got two weeks to do some hunting, which I'll kind of fill you guys in on a minute. But I want to thank everybody for the comments that came in this week from last week's episode. We had several messages that Jackson and I received um, in regards to the show that we did last week with our special guest, Mr. Blake Benoit over at Benoit Performance Baits. I know you guys enjoyed the show from the sound of it, and we really enjoyed doing that show with Blake. It's been a long time coming. Blake has uh, become one of our good buddies, 
just a great guy, like I mentioned on the show, with you know a great company. Um, those of you who enjoy fishing, you like fishing here in South Louisiana, whether it's bass fishing, purse jerking, sackle fishing, whatever it may be. Blake is a great guy for you guys to get to know. He has some awesome products that he offers, and a lot of you said that you had never been introduced to Benoit Performance Base before until you heard it for the first time here on the show last week. So we're just glad we could do our part. And I know a lot of you said that you enjoyed the conversation and the stories that we talked about on the show. And honestly, guys, at the end of the day, that's what a podcast is all about. That's what got us into podcasting. Uh, When I made the first podcast several years back, that's what I wanted to do was meet new people, like I mentioned before, and just have it raw where we could sit back and tell stories about all of our experiences in outdoors here in Louisiana and maybe get to know some of you guys from out of state and hear some experiences that you guys have in your states, you know, in the outdoors. So at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. And I've mentioned that and referenced it several times. And that's what me and Blake were doing last week, guys. So we are thrilled to death that y'all enjoyed the show that we did last weekend. And I plan on bringing more guests. I love having guests on the show with us. Um, So I plan on having more guests, guys. If you guys want to hear more fishing content in the summer, because we all have those, those hunting season blues with hunting season being over for the most part then guess what? We'll bring you more fishing content. And from the what it looks like, you guys want more fishing content right now to keep things going and keep it interesting during the summer months. So we plan on bringing that to you guys, as well as all the videos that we talked about. We've been working really hard on expanding our YouTube channel. So me and Jackson have been shooting more video, uh, working on new equipment to get to give you guys better videos. And uh, we're going to keep bringing that content to you and keep it rolling in the hunting season as we approach fall of next year and next hunting season. So looking forward to that. But my point is I want to thank you guys, as always, for tuning in with us. Um, A lot of you guys listen to us on a a regular basis every week, and I can't tell you how grateful I am for it. Um, And we've been exposing a lot of new listeners. You guys have been exposing a lot of new listeners to the show, so thank you. Um, We have listeners now coming in from across the United States, guys, that are tuning in every week now, listening to the show. Uh, We even have some, like I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, we have some listeners that are out of the country that are now listening. So how awesome is that? I mean, it is, you know, when you have a great company like Anchor.fm who takes your podcast and distributes that podcast to everybody, to all the major platforms that you guys are listening to, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever it may be, then you touch a lot of people. And the great thing about podcasting is that it's not scripted. It's not like a radio show. We could say whatever we want for the most part. If we want to say fuck, we could say fuck. If we want to talk about a certain topic, we could talk about a certain topic, guys. And that's what we do here every week on Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. So thank you guys once again for tuning in. Thank you guys for sharing the show with your friends. We can't tell you how grateful we are um, to have it every week and have the time and opportunity to sit down and talk outdoors, Louisiana outdoors with you guys. We look forward to it every week, just like we are this week. Well, guys, I mentioned that we have a hunting season, believe it or not, that is kicking off here this weekend, tomorrow. 
and it goes on for the first two weekends in May. And many of you guys may not even be aware of what this hunting season is or that it's even about to kick off tomorrow. And what I'm talking about is not turkey season, guys, because those of you who are turkey hunters, you already know turkey season is kicked off here in the springtime in Louisiana. What I'm talking about this weekend, guys, is small game hunting. We have a spring squirrel season that is kicking off this weekend here in Louisiana, and that was a new season that was introduced several years back now that several of you may be looking to participate in this week. And that's right. A lot of you who aren't familiar with squirrel hunting, you may be saying to yourself, okay, Jacob, I know squirrel season's usually in the fall time. Um, you know, usually sometime when, you know, dove season after dove season kicks off, squirrel season's typically next, and then duck season opens up, deer season opens up, and you go from there with it. Uh, full throttle into hunting season. But like I mentioned, several years back, Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries announced that they were going to introduce a spring squirrel hunting season that was going to kick off here in Louisiana. It was going to open up in the first weekend in May, and it would go for two weekends straight, two weeks straight here in Louisiana to where you had the opportunity to go out and hunt small game uh, squirrels in particular in this situation. Now, for those of you looking for loopholes to maybe do a little bit of extra hunting, if you're familiar with the wildlife management area rules, guys, when there's a small game hunting season open on a wildlife management area, many of you probably already know that you could also hawk hunt at the same time that small game hunting is allowed on a wildlife management area here in Louisiana. So for those of you boys who want to get out this weekend, you may not be that interested in going out and squirrel hunting, you could also go out and do some hog hunting this weekend. So that's pretty fucking cool in my opinion. Those of you who are kind of, you know, going through your freezes right now and you're kind of dwindling down on some of that deer meat maybe that you had from deer season this past season, um, well then you have the opportunity to go out now, guys, kill you a hog, kill you a couple of hogs over the next two weeks, and put some pork meat in the freezer, some wild boar in the freezer. How awesome is that right now? So, yeah, that's a little loophole for all you guys who maybe miss, you know, hunting season. You want to go out there, get back in the woods, and uh, do a little bit of hunting. You could go out this weekend and all through next week, through the end of next weekend, do some squirrel hunting and also do some hog hunting if you're hunting the wildlife management areas here in the state. So, pretty cool deal, guys. But for those of you who know me on a personal level, you know that squirrel hunting is a huge part of my tradition. Growing up in Evangeline Parish in the town of Ville Platte, Louisiana, that's actually where our hunting roots started at as children with our dads, our grandfathers. Um, that's where us as children cut our teeth, learning how to hunt for the majority of us growing up in Evangeline Parish. You know, that part of the state, guys, it's really, really unique squirrel hunting. And when we did our very first podcast episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors, that is how I kicked off the podcast when I started it several years back. It was talking about the traditions of growing up in Evangeline Parish in Ville Platte, Louisiana, and how I was introduced to hunting through squirrel hunting um, by my grandfather, by my dad, who to this day is probably the best squirrel hunter, small game hunter I've ever had the opportunity to personally hunt with. And that says a lot that about my dad because my best friend growing up, who many of you guys have heard on the show with us, Troy Fontenot, 
Um, my best friend growing up, he is the probably second best squirrel hunter that I have ever had the opportunity to hunt with. And guys, when I tell you Troy is good, he is one of the best out there. I would put him up against anybody that I know nowadays that still hunts. I promise you, I would put him up and put my money on Troy because he's one of the best small game hunters that I've ever had the, like I said, the experience to hunt with. But if there's anybody that I could say, you know, back in his heyday was as good or maybe even slightly better, it would have to be my, my father that taught me how to hunt. And I never was, I, or I never could hold a candle in the wind to as, you know, being as good of a squirrel hunter as he was. So even though I learned from one of the best, it's one of those things, guys, you got to have that instinct and that gut, um, you know, talent to be able to go out there and produce numbers like these guys do um, and go out and kill limits. You know, it's just like when we talk about limits and waterfowl hunting, there's guys that are going to go out there in the worst of the years and they're going to kill ducks. You know, they're going to kill birds um, because they just, they just next level is what it is. And you guys know what I'm talking about, you know? There's some of us that think we're good, but we're not as good as, as the next guy or next group of guys that you know are going to go out there and produce limits just about every time they go out and hunt. They're going to find the birds. They're going to do what they have to do. They're going to go further in. They're going to walk further. They're going to put in more time scouting, and they're going to go out there, and they're going to kill them to where the majority of us are happy to maybe limit out you know, every couple of hunts. They're just next level guys, next level hunters, you know? So, you know, growing up in Villeplatte around a lot of guys that squirrel hunting was a huge part of their lives and their traditions and heritage, it was a big deal for us, you know, in Evangelical Parish when squirrel season came around. Um, you know, it was such a big deal that, you know, it's more common now, I think, a little bit more in certain areas, but at the time when I was coming up in the 80s, 90s you know at that time we used to get off they would cancel school on Fridays in October when opening weekend of squirrel season was kicking off so how crazy is that how many of you could could say that your school was canceled for a hunting season to take place well that's how it was in Evangeline Parish that's how it was in Avoyles Parish though all those areas uh that I grew up in, in the central port right above I-10 you still were in what I call Kunas Cajun areas, Acadiana. That's how it was for us. We had school canceled when squirrel season opened up and came around because it was such a big deal. All the men in our in our town would go to the woods. You know, whether they hunted or not, they would all go to the hunting camps to just to participate in open weekend of squirrel season. And a lot of guys necessarily wasn't even into squirrel hunting, but they would go to play cards, they'd go to drink. Um, they'd go to cook, you know, and do all that just to participate in the camp life, to hang out with their buddies and have a good time. And we did that all through my childhood growing up. It was, it was such a cool thing. And then you started seeing that influence kind of trickle into deer hunting, duck hunting. It became more common that you were seeing it happen across some of these other, you know, camps that were into deer hunting or deer camps or into duck camps. Uh, not that it hadn't occurred somewhat throughout the years and through the you know the many decades, but Evangeline Parish, Avoyles Parish, all those areas that were diehard squirrel hunting and small game hunters, 
that they had a huge influence on the expansion of some of these other traditions being carried out in the other areas of, of like I mentioned, deer hunting, waterfowl hunting, all that type of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's pretty cool to have grown up where I grew up at. I never forget my roots of where I came from, even though I, you know, I'm, I've been gone for many, many years. I'm in the big city, um, or what I call the big city of Gonzales, Louisiana, now right outside of Baton Rouge, smack dab between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, Louisiana. For those of you listening, uh, who don't know necessarily where Gonzales, Louisiana is, um, you I never forget where I come from guys. And growing up where I grew up, I wouldn't have traded it for the world. I wouldn't have traded those traditions for the world. And it's something that I'm now passing on to my boys. You know, every year since Jackson has been able to come with me for squirrel season in October, I take him out of school on Fridays. And that's not something that's done over here. School doesn't let out on Fridays over here uh, for squirrel season. I could guarantee you that, much less any other hunting season. But I pulled Jackson out, you know, since he's been five or six years old. And I let him miss that Friday so he and I could experience that tradition that I got to experience with my dad for opening weekend of squirrel season. So that's a tradition that I'm trying to pass on to my boys. Um, Hudson's coming up. Hudson's six years old this year. He's my youngest son. And we're going to start doing it with him this year. We're going to start bringing him um, and letting him miss that Friday. So both boys will be able to miss that Friday as long as they don't have, you know, nothing that they need to take care of, of course. We don't want to be irresponsible with it, but it is a, it is an important tradition in our household. So I'm going to have both my boys this year with me, and I'm looking forward to that. It's the first time that I'll have them both with me for opening weekend of squirrel season. But, you know, having a spring season is such an awesome thing because even though I don't participate in the spring season, guys, uh, because it's just not my cup of tea, I'd rather be on the water right now doing some fishing, uh, especially with the temperatures warming up. You know, you got the time of year, you got the snakes to deal with, you got mosquitoes to deal with right now. I really don't want to break out my thermosail and just, to, you know, to go do some squirrel hunting. I'd rather be on the water right now. And my time is extremely precious working six days a week right now. Um, you know, so I have a, I usually have a Sunday off where I have to, you know, choose what I want to do, whether it's something with the family outdoors or, you know, maybe just me and a buddy possibly going and doing something in the outdoors, taking a fishing trip. And, uh, and that's really what I want to, what I want to focus my time on right now, because once hunting season comes around, guys, it is die hard hunting through the rest of hunting season. So we kick it off. We usually go make a couple of dove hunts, opening weekend of squirrel season, like I mentioned in October, and then we'll squirrel hunt for a month straight. And then once, you know, duck season opens up, it's duck hunting 100% from there on out through the rest of the year. So, you know, if you are an avid squirrel hunter like my buddy Troy Fontenot, who I talked to, he called me last week and he said, Jacob, he said, or he calls me Pug. That's my nickname growing up was Pug, Puggy. And he called, he says, Pug, he says, guess what next weekend is? You know what it is? And I, and I hadn't been thinking about it, to be honest with you. I said, no. Nah. I said, well, what's next weekend? He said, man, he said, it's the opening weekend of spring squirrel season, man. And I said, yeah, you're right. He said, dude, you got to talk about it on the podcast. You got to bring it up. And I said, you know what? That's actually a good idea because I said, there's probably tons of, of fellow hunters that we know that are from here in Louisiana that aren't even aware that they have a spring squirrel season, you know? But 
I guarantee you there's a large group of guys that probably are familiar and do know that there's a season that's opening up tomorrow. So if you have the opportunity to go out there tomorrow and you guys want to get out in the woods, like I said, hell, get out there. Go enjoy this spring season that, that's available to us as outdoorsmen here in Louisiana and have some fun. Take a kid out with you. Introduce them to the outdoors if they haven't been introduced to the outdoors. Hell, it's a good time right now with the fishing being good and, and you know, springtime, you know, being in the full mix of springtime, you can make a squirrel hunt in the morning, go back to the camp, take a nap, eat a little lunch, and maybe go do an afternoon fishing trip, you know? So you could do a little bit of everything right now, which is, which is awesome, you know? And a lot of guys probably are going to take advantage of the spring squirrel season to do a little bit of hunting, you know, and go out and do some spring squirrel hunting whenever they may not have done so much hunting and, and enjoy it, but they have focused most of their time, you know, in the big hunting season to do some deer hunting or do some duck hunting. You know, a lot of guys are like me. They enjoy small game hunting, but their passion for duck hunting or their passion for deer hunting is greater than their passion for small game hunting. So once those seasons open up, they don't necessarily, you know, go and experience some of that small game hunting like they would right now in the springtime when they have two weeks to dedicate just to that. So that's that's one of the awesome things, I think, that wildlife and fisheries did here in Louisiana was open up a spring season to coincide and go along with spring turkey hunting, gives the uh, hunters the opportunity to get back in the outdoors Make a couple of more trips to the camp if you not necessarily going to the camp during the summertime a whole lot. Kind of get you back around the campfire. And it's usually not too hot of a time of year to where you can still enjoy it. So that's such an awesome thing. But guys, look, if you are going to participate, um, you know, what do you need? You know, most of you are aware by now that if you hunt the WMAs, you have access to be able to check in and out of the WMAs from the app that's available on your smartphone, whether it's an Apple phone or an Android phone. Wildlife and Fisheries released a couple of years ago a digital app that you guys could check in and out from. So the days of having to go and find a check-in station, fill out those old cards with a find a pencil or a pen because you you got to look for one in the truck and dig in your glove box because they don't have one at the check-in station. All that bullshit is days of the past, guys. You don't have to mess with that anymore. So maybe you aren't familiar with the check-in process. Just go on your app store on your phone, download Wildlife and Fisheries, Louisiana Wildlife Fisheries app, and uh, and you can do all of it from your phone, from the app. It's awesome. You know, you can check in, check out, ask you a couple of questions, fill it out, and you move on and you down the road, guys. You don't have to worry about getting in line and check in and all that stuff. So it's much more convenient. That's one of the best things I think our taxpayer dollars ever went towards for those of us that are public hunters here in Louisiana. That was, uh, you know, a huge step in the right direction when Wildlife and Fisheries released that. And uh, and I use it religiously. I have to be honest with you. So that's that's a pretty cool deal. But besides that, besides having your permit to check in and out, guys, you have to have your basic small game license and you have to have your wildlife management permit. And that's a separate permit from the one that you use to check in. You have to have a wildlife management area permit that is purchased with your hunting license. I think the cost of it is 15 bucks. Make sure you have that purchased if you plan on hunting any management area here in Louisiana 
um, or maybe the next two weeks for the spring squirrel season. So if you have that stuff with you guys, you can go out on the management areas, get your favorite lead shot, get your shotgun, get your 22 rifle, and go have a blast. Go kill you some tree rats, make you some squirrel jambalaya, smother it down in a black pot, make you a gravy, and cook some rice, yeah? Go have some fun killing some squirrels, or maybe go get you some fresh boar and some fresh pork meat that we talked about, uh, kill you a couple of hogs over the next two weeks. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Like I mentioned, I won't be partaking in this particular spring season because I'll probably be on the water on my days off. But for all you guys going out there, I hope you have fun. I hope you kill them. I'll try to get you guys a report from my buddy Troy. I know Troy's going. He's super excited to get out there and go kill him a limit of uh, squirrels over the next week or two. He said he's going to make him a couple of hunts. So I'll get you guys a report on uh, what the crop looks like for this coming season from uh, from Troy this week, and I'll share that with you on the next show, hopefully. But uh, just be careful out there, guys. As always, just respect everybody. Pick up your trash behind you if you don't mind. That's that's a big part I see on our public lands uh, that we could improve on, all of us as hunters. Keep it clean, as clean as what you had when you went in. And, uh, and man, it's just going to make our facilities a lot nicer for all of us that, that participate, you know. So I hope you guys, this brought a little bit of uh, maybe education to you as far as being aware that we have a new squirrel season that's about to kick off in the springtime here in Louisiana. Uh, because like I said, I, I am surprised still when I run into guys and I mention that and they're not even aware that we have a spring season. So pretty cool, pretty cool deal. Um, and, I, and I hope you guys enjoy it if you plan on participating on it. So, well, guys, we're going to take a small break here. And when we come back, I want to get into some details that broke this week about the tragic incident that occurred on Real Foot Lake up in Tennessee earlier this season. Uh, when duck season was in full swing, you guys heard the tragic story that came out of Real Foot about the two gentlemen that were shot fatally um, by another hunter. And there was a third hunter that was with the two young gentlemen that was fatally shot and murdered um, that was a survivor. And his details and his story emerged lately. And I want to talk about that with you guys on some of the information and his story that he put out there on the facts of what he, uh, you know, had from he from him remembering that occurred absolutely heartbreaking story guys the details and the way he tells it if you look at the story that he told it's just something that we could never phantom you know as outdoorsmen uh doing something that we love so much that we look forward to every year to go through what this gentleman experienced and to hear the words and how it happened from his perspective is absolutely earth-shaking so i want to talk about that with you guys when we get back from the break We'll get to that and a lot more. You're listening to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. Y'all stay tuned, guys. Hey, guys. The temperatures are rising here in Louisiana, and it's getting hotter now. But so is the fishing action. So if you're looking to find custom-made soft plastics, whether it's for bass fishing or crappie, soccolate jigs, and jig heads, we invite you to visit the guys over at Benoit Performance Baits down in Thibodeau, Louisiana. Give Blake Benoit a call or visit him on the web or social media at Benoit Performance Baits and let him know that the guys over at Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors sent you. All right, guys, welcome back from the break. Once again, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors. 
I'm your host, Jacob Robery. And guys, before we went to break, I kind of led with a, uh, a, a topic that I wanted to discuss in this week's closing segment. Um, that is a story that many of you were intrigued by. As we were ending duck season, kind of heading into January, there was national news that had affected the hunting world, guys, with the story of two young men that tragically lost their lives up on a historic Real Foot Lake in Tennessee. Um, there was a lot of, of rumors that were swirling around that story. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, <clears throat> you know, it's a story that is something that hits home with a lot of us who public land hunt. I have to be honest with you. Um, I know it did for me personally. Um, and, you know, basically what it was was there was supposedly a dispute um, between a hunting spot or over a hunting blind that had occurred on public land up in, in historic Real Foot Lake, like I mentioned in Tennessee. Um, and, and Real Foot Lake is historically, like I said, a, a well known for waterfowl hunting, guys. Um, you know, I've heard of it. I'm, you know, heard that it has traditionally for many decades been very, very good hunting up there. Um, but it's also a place that gets quite a bit of hunting pressure, like most public places, you know. Now, the thing about real foot that gets real tricky is that it, even though it's a lot of public area to hunt, there, from what I understand, is also some privately owned blinds that also mix in to the reserve. So I'm not exactly sure how that works in their area, but that's what I understand from what I've read. Um, you know, like I mentioned, the story that broke was that two young men had fatally lost their lives. And by now, if you're familiar with the story, you probably, you know, kind of have heard all the rumors that were out there about, oh, there was a dispute. There was an argument that broke out over a hunting spot. It got heated. Um, and then two men fatally lost their lives and tragically lost their lives. Um, well, since that story initially broke, you know, there was a lot of speculation, like I mentioned. There, you know, in this situation, there was a survivor that came out of this particular story up on real foot and up until now there hasn't been a whole lot of information that has been released um you know other than just basic police information <clears throat> from what they had found <clears throat> excuse me guys from what you know the evidence that they had found from the duck blind that was recovered at the time on the crime scene um but as far as information about details of what actually happened, there, there really hasn't been a whole lot of information, um, you know, to kind of feed this story and explain why this tragic incident happened up until now. Well, this week, the survivor and his last name is Mr. Crabtree is the lone survivor from this particular story and event that happened. He broke his silence. A lot of the details that, you know, people have been wanting to hear, um, you know, in order to understand what may have occurred here in this particular situation. Um, he has now released his side of the story and has been made public, you know, for the public to listen to and for the public to read into. And guys, I have to admit, it is absolutely gut-wrenching when you tell when he tells this story about what happened on this particular day. So 
this gentleman, Mr. Crabtree, guys, he's an older he's an older gentleman. He was a friend of the of the two young men who lost their lives that tragic day. And you know, like most of us, they were looking to make a duck hunt during the middle of the week. Um, you know, to kind of avoid some of that hunting pressure. Two of the young men were avid duck hunters. Mr. Crabtree himself, like I mentioned, was a friend of the young men. Um, he knew their families pretty well, from what I understand. And they had invited him to come along and make a hunt. And he had accepted the invite to come along and make that hunt. From what I've read, it was on a Monday morning. Like I mentioned, it was, you know, during the week. And many of us who waterfowl hunt during duck season, you know, we always trying to go out during the middle of the week. That way there's not nearly as much hunting pressure, um, you know, to try to avoid some of those weekend crowds. So they were doing the same, same thing. And the way he tells the story, guys, is that, you know, it was a dreary, rainy, you know, just a cold day. They get a lot of cold temperatures up there, you know, in the flyway. But this day was particularly just a, a, one of those rainy, nasty days. Um, and this blind that they got to and that they set up in was, was a pretty large blind. So they got to this blind. They did their normal routine where they set up everything. Um, you know, they, they don't set up a lot of decoys. The way they hunt there is a lot of decoys tend to stay out year round. Got situated, got in the blind, normal day up until that point. Well, this gentleman goes on to say that they noticed that there was a blind not too far down from them. And they noticed that a boat was kind of idling slowly along the, the tree line headed toward the other blind that they were hunting not too far down the waterway from them. So he said, didn't pay very much attention to it. You know, figured the guy was going up blind to go to hunt <clears throat> just like they were, but he was coming in a little bit later than what he, you know, thought was normal, but no big deal. So they going about their day. They kind of tucking down. The weather's getting bad. Lightning's popping, trying to stay safe, protect themselves. And, he says that they heard a noise, what seemed like a boat maybe coming towards them. Um, they popped up their head, and they looked like there was a, a gentleman by himself that was a, kind of coming towards the blind, approaching the blind. Um, and the one of the young gentlemen in the blind, he went ahead and he proceeded to, uh, you know, approach the man over the edge of the blind and just kind of started talking to him. And then he turned around to his two buddies, which one of them was Mr. Crabtree. And he said, um, you know, this gentleman is asking to hunt with us. And they, they found that, you know, kind of odd that it looked like it was the same man that had been going towards the other blind and they thought was hunting the other blind down the waterway from him. But, you know, okay, no big deal. So they, Mr. Crabtree, the way he explains it, guys, is that, you know, it got kind of quiet for a few minutes and he said, you know, he could hear some rumbling going on with the boat pulling into the to the boat slip that's built on the edge of the blind and it's it's covered real well and he said you know being inside the blind they had shooting slots and he said it it's real dark inside the blind because it was low light conditions to begin with um you know not real easy to see in the blind itself because they have shooting ports or they have it sounded like they had material in between the shooting ports to kind of keep it concealed as best as they could. So he said he hears somebody kind of, you know, climbing onto the blind, looks down the, the, the tunnel way, and 
appears to be a man kind of crawling on his knees uh, with a shotgun in his hand. He said he could tell that the guy had a gun in his hand, which is, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. If somebody's looking to hunt with him, he would, uh, of course, have a shotgun with him. So he said one thing that did catch his attention that was a little different when the man was crawling into the blind is it seemed as though he may have made uh, some noise as far as loading his shotgun. And it, Mr. Crabtree goes on to say that, you know, of course, that, that's something that stuck out to him as being, you know, not normal because any guy who duck hunts knows that you don't climb into the blind and while you're loading your shotgun at the same time. It's just not good gun safety. And he said that's something that kind of caught his attention when he looked down and saw the man crawling on his knees with the firearm. But once again, couldn't see him real well, he said, because it was low light conditions, it was dark. And uh, and it's just something that he kind of thought to himself was a little abnormal. And he said he was going to tell the guy, hey, man, look, you know, hopefully you're not loading the gun. Um, you need to have that, you know, done once you get up into your shooting port uh, just for safety reasons, you know. But he wasn't sure how much experience the man had. So he, he really kind of was just paying attention to the man just to make sure that, you know, he didn't have a gun pointed towards him or the other gentleman in the blind. Well, as the man made his way to his feet, he said he heard some talking and discussion going on between the first young man who was at the end of the blind where the uh, boathouse was and Crab, Mr. Crabtree himself was on the opposite end of the blind all the way on the opposite end. So he heard some talking going on but couldn't really understand what was you know being discussed between the gentleman who had entered the, the blind which later authorities would release was a man by the name of Mr. Val. Um, so Mr. Val was having a conversation with one of the young men when he entered the blind. Um, couldn't really understand what they were saying and the other young man who was hunting with him was in the middle between you know Mr. Val or I say not between Mr. Val, but on the opposite end of Mr. Val, he was on the end with Mr. Crabtree. So as the discussion was going on between Mr. Val and the first young man who was in the blind, he said all of a sudden they heard a shot go off. And when the shot went off, they heard somebody fall into the water, which would have been the first gentleman that he was having the conversation with, Mr. Val. So immediately, Mr. Crabtree tells, the way he tells the story is that he thought, you know, immediately that the gentleman had loaded his gun as he had suspected and accidentally discharged the shot and possibly shot his friend who was on the end of the blind, at the entrance of the blind. So, of course, Mr. Crabtree and the other young man who's hunting with him, his, his buddy, they immediately go to see their friend to check their friend and as he's going through the blind Mr. Crabtree says he grabs the barrel of the gun and turns it away from him as they make their way to the entrance of the blind to check on their friend and kind of knock Mr. Val to the ground they get to the edge of the blind where the boathouse is section of the blind is and their buddy has been shot they can see that he has been shot in the chest, somewhere around the chest area, and has fallen into the water at that point. 
So they immediately jump into the water. They're trying to get him out of the water into the boat, which Mr. Val's boat was parked underneath the duck blind cover. Um, they try to, first instinct is to try to get him in the boat to get him to the bank to get him for, you know, some kind of medical attention. Um, so they're, they're doing that, and Mr. Crabtree explains that his instinct is that, you know what, this man may have accidentally shot our friend, but he has to pay for this and be accountable for this. So he goes back into the blonde, grabs Mr. Val by the head, the way he describes it, and the chest area, and he begins to take him towards the entrance of the blonde to get him into the boat as well. Well, when he does that and he grabs him, Mr. Val drops his firearm once again on the ground in the blonde. So the shotgun is dropped on the floor. And then he proceeds to get him out of the blonde and into the boat with the gentleman and their buddy who was already shot, as well as the other buddy of theirs who's hunting with them as well. So he goes on to talk about how he's tr everybody's loaded up. It's been raining. They're trying to, you know, get him to safety as quickly as possible to get him some medical attention. So at this point, Mr. Crabtree grabs control of the of Mr. Val's boat. He's in the rear of the boat. They have the gentleman who has been shot already and needs medical attention lying on the floor in the boat. Mr. Val himself is on his hands and knees in the middle of the boat from the way the description was told. And then the other gentleman and friend of Mr. Crabtree's that's hunting with them is in the front of the boat. So as they're going down the, <clears throat> the river, or what I call, I'm, I'm calling it a river, but as they're going down the channel to try to get back to the launch, they aren't able to get on plane real well because the boat was filled up with rainwater, guys. Once again, I mentioned earlier that he had said it was a bad weather day. Conditions were horrible, a lot of rainfall, and in this particular instance, the man may not have had a bilge pump in this particular boat. I'm not sure. But Mr. Crabtree says that the boat was not able to get up to full capacity on the speed and was having trouble getting up on planes. So they're going about seven miles an hour trying to make it back to get medical attention for their friend. But whenever he looks down into the boat, like I said, Mr. Viles on his hands and knees in the middle of the boat. He notices that there's a Remington 870 shotgun on the floor. So he immediately begins to holler and yell at his buddy up front, hey, we need to grab that shotgun off the floor, get it away from him, make sure it's not loaded, doesn't have any kind of shells in it that could possibly be used as a weapon. And the wind's blowing, the rain's falling, guys. It's very hard to hear. His buddy up in the front has, you know, rain gear on, a hat that's maybe covering his ears. Um, not real easy for him to hear. Uh, they have their friend on the floor, you know, who has been shot and they're trying to get medical attention for. It's just absolutely chaos at this point, guys, you can imagine, you know. So he's, he's trying to get the attention of his buddy up in the front of the boat. He don't really hear him. He says he begins to kind of get a little bit louder, holler a little bit louder at him. And he said as he's doing that, he notices that Mr. Val kind of rises up in the boat, picks up the shotgun, 
pointed towards the young man in the front, his other friend, Mr. Crabtree's other friend that's hunting with him, and he pulls the trigger and shoots the young man, dropping him in the boat. So guys, at this point, can you can you imagine when this is all going down yourself in this situation? This must have been absolutely terrifying for this man. This is a situation that went from three buddies trying to make a duck hunt. Just a, a normal thing that they enjoy doing as a hobby. To a violent situation now to where Mr. Crabtree's in this vessel trying to get his friend medical attention that's been shot which they think is an accidental gunshot wound from a duck hunter who used inappropriate hunter safety to now realizing that he's in, in this, this boat, this duck boat with the man who's, who's murdered both his friends that are hunting with him. It has to be absolutely terrifying. You know? And the way he tells the story, guys, is much better than I'm telling it to you, probably. But it's it's gut-wrenching. Because I, as I'm reading the story, I'm, I'm putting myself in this situation. How many of us have been in this situation so many times in the duck blind with our buddies or in, in a duck boat traveling to our duck hunting hole? And we've had possible confrontations with other hunters over a hunting spot possible confrontations you know over the most stupidest things because you know we all fighting to get a, 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 what we think is the best hunting spot we could get on public land and, it, and it's just not worth it guys you know it's just not worth it because situations like this although they're very rare it can escalate into something that these gentlemen experienced so, to continue the story, guys, and, it, and it's literally hard for me to tell this story because anybody who reads it that can relate to their situation, it's gut-wrenching, like I said. You know, it's very hard to retell the story. So, as the story continues, Mr. Crabtree says when he sees that Mr. Val pulls the trigger and shoots his friend that's on the front of the boat, he knows immediately, of course, that this man is a, is a murderer at that point. It wasn't accidental. Neither of the of the gunshots were accidental. So he immediately, his instinct was to grab the gun from Mr. Val because he says Mr. Val, once he shoots the friend in the front, he starts to swing towards the back in order to go towards him operating the boat. And it, uh, his thought was that he was trying to turn the gun to shoot him the firearm to shoot him so as he swings the firearm around he says he he lets go of the motor he grabs the gun barrel with both hands and rips it away from mr val and he said and he, he said in the story that at this point it was self-defense so he immediately grabs the firearm from mr val and he said his thought was to use the gun at that point as a weapon and his you know goal was that he was going to strike Mr. Val over the head with the firearm 
to knock him out or possibly even kill him in self-defense. So that's what he did. He, he, he ripped the firearm away from him, the shotgun away from Mr. Val, and he swung it back at him and tried to hit him over the head, and he said he hit him over the crown of the head, therefore knocking him to the ground or the floor in the boat. And then he grabbed him, and he threw him overboard into the water, the cold waters of Real Foot Lake. So at that point, he goes on to say that he continues down the bayou or the river or the lake, whatever you want to call it, continues down. Um, he ends up overshooting the launch where they were parked at. There wasn't a lot of people. Like I mentioned, it was during the middle of the week. He was looking for somebody uh, who was in another boat possibly as he's going down the waterway. Um, doesn't encounter anybody on the water, so he, he goes down till he sees a home that's off of the lake he docks it he says his, his buddy up in the front that the second gentleman who had been shot is on the floor screaming asking for help he immediately jumps out of the boat runs into a yard and proceeds to go to the front door of the house knocking on the door frantically and he said that a woman answered the door and he, he asked her to please call 911 to get officials there as soon as possible because his buddies had been shot, his two friends had been shot and they needed medical attention. So within 10 to 15, 20 minutes, I think is what the story, he, the way he tells it is that they had, a you know, authorities that showed up at the launch, um, you know, wildlife and fisheries agents local sheriff's department, police department, had authorities, and within, you know, an hour or so, they were scanning the lake for Mr. Val to try to find Mr. Val so that he could be held accountable for the actions and the crimes that he had committed. He said that he gave police statements, and then they asked, or the wildlife and fisheries agents from Tennessee asked them to get in a boat with him and take him back to the crime scene where it had all occurred in the blind and try to, you know, provide some information if he could. But you can only imagine how rattled Mr. Crabtree was, guys. Can you can you just fathom what he went through for a second? It's insane what this man experienced. So at that point, guys, the way the story goes is that Mr. Val, there was a there was a warrant issued for Mr. Val's arrest. Um, you know, and over the next couple of days, they searched for him. Eventually, he was found by another hunter. When he was found, Mr. Val was was dead on the scene when he was found. And then, then the you know, at that point, guys, the questions start to come out. You know. What caused somebody to do this? You know, Mr. Val was a man who was known as a, as a kind person, from what I understand. He was somebody who was, his family had a business in the area. Um, you know, and they, they had a prominent business. He did not have a criminal history, this man, this particular man. So a lot of questions, of course, come into play over what could have caused this? Why would this have happened? You know, 
a, a man. He had been a lifelong hunter. He was, you know, familiar with the area. Never had a criminal record, no violence, nothing like that. So, as the particular story goes, is that, you know, of course, questions come into play. Was it possible, you know, dementia? Was it something that caused him to snap, you know, to become violent in this particular situation? And from what the details are leading towards is that it could have been a case of possible dementia on the part of Mr. Val in his particular situation. Um, he was an older gentleman. And reports are that, you know, there had been some indications that he had himself had indicated he was having trouble with, uh, you know, memory loss and, and just stuff that wasn't quite normal, you know, that he thought wasn't quite normal. It had been brought up to certain family members, um, you know, and a lot of signs leads toward possible dementia in this particular situation. But what a horrible story. And these poor families of these young men who were victims in this particular situation, including Mr. Crabtree, you know, he has to, he has to go back and see these families and meet with these families of these two young men, which he knew as they grew up, he knew their families, he knew them, and they were just going out to enjoy something that they love to do as a hobby, guys. Like something that we all do every day. Every day during hunting season that we have the opportunity to do so. But there were a lot of rumors from this story when it broke that wasn't necessarily true. Um, you know, there was no dispute from what Mr. Crabtree's story indicates over a hunting spot. It had nothing to do with a particular who had what blind or you're too close to me or you're calling birds off of me and all these these speculations that were provided out there when this story broke that we all heard. But when you listen to his story, none of that is mentioned in the story, guys. And this is coming from the man who who was there. And it's been now months, several months since this incident occurred. And a lot of you have been waiting for answers to kind of hear the details on what actually occurred. Just as I have, I've actually followed up on this story several times, but I have to commend Mr. Crabtree for, for telling his story, for having the courage to talk about this situation that he experienced, unfortunately. And he was referenced in his story as saying he would never duck hunt again. He couldn't do it. He can't do it. I don't blame him. None of us could blame him for it, I'm sure. What an unfortunate situation for us as outdoorsmen. This is the story that you never want to hear. You never want to be a part of. These young men didn't want to be a part of it, I promise you. They didn't ask for this situation. But it occurred. And it's unfortunate. And it's something that we now need to use as a learning experience, you know. 
like I mentioned, even though in this particular situation, it didn't look like a dispute was the issue that caused the outcome that it did. How many times have we all been in a, in a stupid, silly dispute with somebody over a hunting spot? And you think about it, we all carry firearms, you know? Everybody's carrying a firearm with them. You never know who you're talking to in today's modern day and age, guys. We got to learn to treat each other better. You know, we do. We got to learn to be respectful to each other. Not just in everyday life, but especially as outdoorsmen. We're, share, we're sharing the same lands as everybody else. And it could escalate way more quickly than we ever wanted to. And we could find ourselves in a situation just like these young men did. And that's not something that we want to, we want to, uh, you know, reoccur, want to have reoccur again, guys. So I just wanted to follow up on this story this week. I wanted to tell you guys, if you haven't already heard the story, from Mr. Crabtree's perspective, his voice needs to be heard on what happened. Because like I said, there were a lot of rumors and misconceptions out there. But I commend Mr. Crabtree. I'm praying for the families of the young men whose lives were lost. And I'm praying for the families of even Mr. Val, I have to be honest. Because they had to go through a situation that they weren't asking for, that they did not expect as well. So, that's it, guys. That's the facts. That's the facts on what occurred on Real Foot Lake. Now these families hopefully can have some closure. They can have some, some you know, time to heal, time to mourn. And the outline support that they have received in this community is absolutely astounding. There have been a lot of people stepped up to help these families from what I've seen and read. Uh, and the, the, the support from the locals and their local community has been, you know, outstanding. So in times like this, although there's, a, you know, it seems like there's not much good that comes out of the situation. As with all tragedies, there, there's always a bright light and people that step up to help people, guys. And that's awesome. That really is awesome. That's what that's what we need to do as human beings. So when you're heading to your favorite hunting spot next year, whether it's a public spot, you know, most in most cases I'm referring to public land hunting here. You know, keep in the back of your mind this story, this podcast that we talked about, this story. Respect your other hunters. Respect the people with you that you're hunting with. And let's all go enjoy the outdoors because that's what we're there to do. We're there to escape. We're there to get outdoors and share our experiences and traditions with the younger generations, our kids. And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about, guys. And I think, I think if we continue to do that, we're going to continue to grow the sport in the right direction. 
and we'll learn from all these negative experiences that people have encountered before. So, anyway, guys, that's what we wanted to talk about. I wanted to follow up with you on this situation, on this story, because it is very intriguing to a lot of you. So, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's show. I know I enjoy, as always, having you guys on with us. We're going to do it again next week. But until next week, guys, this is Jacob with Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors Podcast. Signing off and wishing y'all the best in the outdoors. Let's go get outside this weekend, guys, and enjoy it. Y'all have a good weekend. Hey, guys, with all the fishing heating up here in South Louisiana, if you're looking for hard-to-find jigs, spinnerbaits, chatterbaits, or much more in custom colors, or maybe you're looking for a custom-built fishing rod because you're tired of all those store-bought rods breaking on you, then give our friend Chris Thornton over at Cajun Tackle House a call or look him up on social media at CajunTackleHouse.com. Chris will get you taken care of, and you can order online or visit him in-store in Morgan City, Louisiana. Let him know that the guys at Last Stop Waterfowl Outdoors sent you.